we can still go have fun, even if you're experiencing disorientation or it's hard to buckle your seatbelt or you can't tie your shoes or whatever. Who cares? Like, you know, those things are a bummer, but they're not a failure. There's still a lot of success and joy to be found. Welcome to another episode of Success Through Failure. This is your host, Jim Harsher Jr., and today I bring you Travis and Mark Macy. You may remember Travis's name from episode 353, or for the longtime listeners, way back in episode 52. That was like six and a half years ago. Man, time flies. Well, this interview is totally different and even more incredible than our prior conversations. So a little bit of quick background on Travis. He's a professional ultra-endurance athlete. He has finished over 130 ultra-endurance events in 17 countries. Did you get that? Like 130 ultra-endurance events in 17 freaking countries. This guy has been through mountains and across deserts and through the snow of Canada and Alaska. I mean, it's just every environment possible this guy has tackled it, but his father as well. So Travis himself, he's a speaker and he's an author and he's a coach of professional endurance athletes and he's the author of a book titled The Ultra Mindset and Endurance Champions, Eight Core Principles for Success in Business, Sports, and Life. Now, this is a really practical read, chock full of tactics and habits for world-class performance. We covered that back in episode 52. But before I tell you about today's incredible interview, let me tell you really quickly one other thing about Travis. So he set a record for the lead man. Okay. The lead man is this, it's an epic endurance event. It's a series of events and it consists of a trail running marathon, a 50 mile mountain bike race, the Leadville 100 mountain bike race, a 10 K road run and the Leadville 100 run. Now, yeah, that's insane. Here's what's even more insane. All of this takes place above 10,200 feet in the Rocky mountains. <laughs> it's just epic. And, and Travis actually set a record when he won the lead man, when he won that series, the year he won it. So total stud. Here's what else you need to know about today's conversation. Travis's father, Mark, who goes by Mace, and I call him Mace in the interview here. He's one of the godfathers of endurance racing. He started racing back in the 1980s and he pioneered the sport. Unfortunately, he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's back in 2019. However, it's typically the end of the road for a lot of people. It's not for Mace. You know, not only did he not stop racing, he and Travis, along with two other team members, were invited to compete in the Eco Challenge, which is dubbed the, the world's toughest race. The Eco Challenge, it's an expedition basically against the clock in which international teams of adventure athletes race nonstop 24 hours a day across hundreds of miles of remote backcountry terrain. You can actually watch Mace and Travis if you have Amazon Prime. Just look up the Eco Challenge. It's a really highly produced series by Mark Burnett, who started Survivor and all kinds of other shows, just super popular reality TV shows. Mark Burnett was behind those. He's also behind the Eco Challenge, which started really when I was a kid. I remember it being on TV, but Amazon bought the rights. So anyway, you can check it out there. These guys, Travis and Mace, have co-authored a book on their lives that documents not only their fascinating journeys as ultra-endurance athletes, but also documents their recent journey through Alzheimer's and how Mace has chosen to live through Alzheimer's and not just let it be a death sentence. It's a fascinating interview with both Travis and his father who are just you know going through battling this tough disease. Their whole family is really battling it, of course. So their new book is titled A Mile at a Time, A Father and Son's Inspiring Alzheimer's Journey of Love, Adventure, and Hope. By the way, this is an epic adventure book. If you like adventure books, it's epic. 
If you want to read a book about Alzheimer's and families going through hard times like this, epic book there too. So it is just honestly such a great, great read. So before we get into the interview, don't forget, you can listen to Success Through Failure on your smart device. Just say Alexa or Siri or Hey Google, play Success Through Failure podcast with Jim Harsha Jr. and you'll hear my voice coming through the speakers. Also, if you like this episode, take a screenshot and post it on Instagram and Twitter. Tag me and Travis and we'll engage with you over there. So thanks for listening. Let's get into my interview with Travis and Mace Macy. In the 1980s, Mace, you were a pioneer of what has become ultra running and adventure sports. Tell us about the early days and how it's different than now. Well, you were doing a lot of stuff, Dad. I mean, so my dad and mom moved to Colorado in 1980. They would have been late 20s. And dad was a lawyer at the time. He had grown up playing team sports. And once he got to Colorado, he kind of realized, here's all this outdoor stuff. And he started backcountry skiing and rock climbing ice climbing. And then 1982, he watched the Iron Man on TV. And uh, that was a famous finish with Julie Moss crawling across the, the finish line. And, you know, she inspired a whole lot of people to try out the Iron Man or get in a marathon or something like that. And dad did a marathon probably that next year. And four years later, he was at the Iron Man in 1986. And after that, it was kind of a quick path to uh, the Leadville 100 Ultra Run in 1988, and then Eco Challenge and other adventure races. Those kind of started happening in the mid-90s. You know, Dad made it a big part of his life. But like I said, he was working as a lawyer. He was uh, raising kids, you know, pushing hard in a lot of different areas. And as far as what's changed, what do you think, Dad? The probably gear, nutrition, those early Leadville 100s, you guys didn't have headlamps, right, Dad? Remember that? You had those little flashlights that you bought like at 7-Eleven on the way to the race. And- that was a story that really stuck out to me in the book. I was, <laughs> he said, like, on the way to the Leadville 100, you stopped at a 7-Eleven on the way to pick up a flashlight. Is it safe to say that you probably weren't very well prepared? Well, I, you know, it seemed prepared to me <laughs> as the best I had. <laughs> it didn't last very long. The guy who was with me, we lost that in about 10 minutes after the first time we tried to use it. <laughs> so. But you were as well prepared as anyone, right? I mean, no one had super bright headlamps or good battery power, right? <laughs> <laughs> so it's safe to say that pretty much everything has changed since then. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Everything is is way better now than it used to be. But, you know, in those days, no, I'm, it was just as much fun then as as it is now, you know. It was just all good stuff. Yeah. And I would say a lot of the best athletes back then, they would be the best athletes now. You know, maybe they'd go a little faster with modern training and fueling and gear. But, uh, you know, the Leadville 100 course record still stands from the mid-90s. That's how good people were then. Wow. It's the same. The Leadville record is still from the 1990s? Yeah, for the 100-mile run. Yep. Yeah, for the run. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. So seven members of your family have finished the Leadville 100. Is that right? Yeah, we get a bunch of them. (laughs) That's bonkers. Yeah. One of my brother-in-laws, he's done more hundreds than anybody. That's Eric Pence. He's my brother-in-law. How many hundreds does he have, Trav? Do you remember? Well, he got his 27th finish at the Leadville 100 last year. He's still going. Not the record, or not yet. You know, who knows? He He's definitely got more good years in him. I think the most finishes is maybe 30 or 31. So 
he doesn't seem to be slowing down and he's still at it. We still have fun out there, huh, Dad? Crewing for Uncle E and uh, his son, Ethan, does it almost every year. A lot of friends and families. It's, uh, you know, it's been a good time. Eric was four years old when I met him for the first time. <laughs> yep. That's actually not an exaggeration. Numbers and stuff get kind of hard with uh, Alzheimer's, but yeah, that's actually the truth. <laughs> he was just a kid, and I took him down to the where the race starts and said, okay, here you go. He, <laughs> and he took off and did his first one. <laughs> Mace, you said it was just as much fun then as it is now. What about you know running 100 miles and doing these absurd races that you guys, both of you guys have done over the years. What about that is enjoyable? Because to most people, it's just pain and suffering. And then you call it fun. I mean, tell me about the mindset of that. What is it that attracted you to that back then and still has you going today? Boy, you know, it's just, I've been doing this stuff for so long, you know, and it's regular to me. And the guys that I run around with, and it's just what we like to do. And I'm not ever going to stop until, you know, I can. <laughs> That's hopefully that'll be a long time. And for the listeners, just for reference, we were chatting before I hit the record button. We were talking about, hey, how was your weekend? Good. How was your weekend? Well, these guys both just ran a 25k trail race over the weekend. So Mace is still crushing it, and this is not something he plans on slowing down with anytime soon. And I think that the note on fun, Jim, all of us choose things in life that have at least some element of fun. And when I think of the word fun, you know, you think enjoyable. And when you run a lot and you get in good enough shape that you can do it so that it doesn't always hurt, um, it does become fun. You're, you're outside, you're seeing beautiful stuff. You're hopefully you're enjoying the daily process of preparation. And for me, that's going on runs and bike rides by myself or with my dogs or with my friends or with kids, you know, who I can coach or teach. Like a lot of that truly is fun. I would also say there are parts that are not fun. In other words, they're not enjoyable. And if we look at the important things in our lives, I think that's usually true. Anyone who has a job, you know, hopefully you like some of it, but some of it's not going to be very fun. Maybe you're married and or you have kids. Well, those things are great. And a lot of times it is fun and enjoyable, but some parts of those are challenging. And there are moments when it's not fun and that's okay. So I think a big reason to do something, whether it's an ultra run or, uh, you know, an adventure race or obstacle course racing, dad and I have both done some of that. I know that's kind of been one of your latest pursuits, Jim. A big reason is not that you want to have fun every single moment, but it's that you want to grow and you want to do something that's going to make you better in the other areas of your life. So I think that's a reason that we keep doing. And like I said, there truly is fun and you can be down in the dumps just feeling terrible because your legs are bad or your stomach's bad or you're freezing cold. And then 30 seconds later, you're on top of the world because you're looking at some great view or you have this, you know, the incredible sunset or a great interaction with someone out on the trail. Very often those things go hand in hand. Like if you want to have uh peak experiences, you've got to take some risk. And that's true, whether you're doing a race or whether you're talking about your business or your finances or whatever, you've got to go big if you want to have those. 
Yeah, I love the idea that, you know, if you want to have peak experiences, you have to take a risk. I'm just going to say all this stuff is normal to me. I've been doing it for, I don't even know how old I am. <laughs> I've been doing it forever, and and it's, it's what I like to do, and, and training is important to me. That's what I do every day. I, I get up in the morning and go out and do some training and find out what I'm going to do the rest of the day to run and stuff. and. That's all I do, and it's it's the best. It's, I gotta keep at it, you know. If I quit, you know, I got this Alzheimer's thing bugging me, you know. If I think if I quit, I'm really in trouble, and I'm not gonna quit, and not anyway am I gonna quit. Quick interruption. Hey, if you like what you're hearing, be sure to get the notes, quotes, and links in the action plan from this episode. Just go to jimharshawjr.com slash action. That's jimharshawjr.com slash action to get your free copy of the action plan. Now back to the show. You've spent a lot of hours training throughout your lifetime. You had a young family and one of your colleagues, adventure racing legend, Marshall Ulrich, he wrote in his book, that you, Mace, did a better job than he did of balancing the needs of your family with racing. Like, how did you make it all work? The long hours of training, the travel. I said, I struggle to find time just to train for a little Spartan race. How did you keep it all in balance? Yeah, it's, it's hard to do. You know, I had a law firm that I was a partner in, and there were times when my partners weren't particularly happy with me, <laughs> you know, going to some jungle somewhere. <laughs> Don't tell them when I'm coming back or anything. And But uh, they get used to it. <laughs> Travis, what was that like as a kid with your dad balancing all of this? I mean, he was a great father, is a great father. How did he keep it in balance from your perspective? Dad always set a great example of putting his family first. And, you know, he was serious about his job as a lawyer, but he didn't let it define him. It was a career or something he wanted to be good at, something that he cared about, but he didn't have his whole ego tied up in it. Same thing with his racing. You know, he was into it and it was something that he wanted to do well at and do it as much as he could. But he also didn't do every single race, especially the longer races like the Eco Challenge. He'd do that, you know, once a year and instead of some of the other folks. Maybe they do a number of, of similar events each year for him. It was like, well, you know, leaving my family once a year for a week or two works, but I'm not going to do more than that. So I think I just saw that dad always had a nuanced approach and it was very clear that family was at the core. And that's definitely something that rubbed off on me. Travis, you saw signs of cognitive decline in your dad. You said they had been apparent for a while and you knew that something was wrong. But when you learned of the Alzheimer's diagnosis, you were still shocked and, and devastated. What was going through your mind when you got the news, Travis? Less shock and surprise, and but more, you know, yeah, devastation. I mean, it's like, it's not news anyone wants to hear, whether you're the person getting diagnosed or it's your spouse or your parent or your friend. It's really hard news. And, you know, I went through a number of months of just a lot of anxiety and kind of this crazy grasping for control that I've 
realized a lot of it was trying to control things that are uncontrollable and coming to a place of a little bit more acceptance. That definitely helped me. But it's hard and it still is. You know, we're here we are. We're in fall of 2022 and almost to the day, I think like four years maybe since dad's diagnosis. And I would say Alzheimer's has advanced some for sure, but overall, he's, he's still a happy guy. He's active. He's a great grandfather. He's a great dad. We're, we're doing uh, things professionally together with podcasting and putting a book out. And, uh, you know, yes, there's sadness and loss, but uh, that doesn't mean there can't also be joy and happiness and, and being present and being grateful for what we have. How about you, Mace? Do you remember when you got the news and how did you take that and how do you internalize that? You know, I don't exactly remember when somebody told me for sure you got Alzheimer's. I don't even remember when that happened. And it doesn't make sense, but I, you know, I just take it and if it happens, then what the heck? I, you know, there's nothing I can do about it. And you know, I got to tell you, I got a, a great wife. My wife, Pam, is is a great wife, and she takes care of me, and she's happy with, with me, and I'm happy with her, and it's all good stuff, you know, and, and you just got to let it go and do the best you can, and it's that simple. You began journaling on your experience with Alzheimer's very early on. Why? Just because I knew that... Something was going to happen one of these days. And I started, you know, this journaling and stuff. And, and I wasn't a very good journaler, I have to say. I can't write at all. <laughs> you know, I look like a two-year-old when I try to write stuff. So Pam, she took that over and stuff got much better. Can I can I share one of those, Dad? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this is, you know, dad saying the, the actual, you know, quote, journaling process. I mean, dad did a ton of writing, obviously, as an attorney. And, and a lot of that was dictating over the years. And as Alzheimer's came on, it was very hard and then impossible to actually write by hand. So most of dad's journal entries were dictated to my mom. And, you know, initially that I wouldn't say there was any plan, you know, to put this in a book or anything, but more of like, here's, here's a record and here's something to share with the grandkids or just processing things is very helpful for a lot of people. So anyway, now, you know, here we are, like I said, four years later, you know, some of this stuff did make it into the book a mile at a time. And here's the first ones, because this kind of goes back to your question, Jim, of dad's initial reaction. And here's what he said. This was, yeah, look at that. October 16th, 2018, dad's first journal. Here's what he said. And I'm reading this, you know, again, just to be honest, like, Reading is really hard for dad as well. He has significant visual spatial impairments and especially small words on a page are, you know, pretty much impossible to read these days. So dad wrote, my name is Mark Macy. I'm 56 years old. And today I was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. My doctor, a neurologist, told me to get my affairs in order since Alzheimer's is invariably fatal. He advised me not to spend time worrying about this diagnosis to instead take vacations Maybe go on a cruise with my wife, Pammy. I told him, this is bullshit. My wife just told me I am 64, not 56. Maybe it's not complete bullshit. Five months ago, I donated a kidney to a stranger. You have to be in perfect health to be an organ donor. 
I'm one of the fittest people around. I run and bike and swim most days and certainly am as fit and healthy as any 56-year-old. My wife just told me again, I'm not 56 years old. I am not making this up. That really just happened. <laughs> I finished day one of my Alzheimer's diagnosis with a significant decision. I didn't cause this disease. I'm not embarrassed to be one of the millions of people suffering from it. I'm not going to hide from it, and I'm going to share our story with anyone who wants to listen. Pammy, my son Travis, my daughters Caitlin and Donna, and I will dedicate ourselves to fighting this horrible disease that kills people all over the world. I'm going to share our story with anyone who wants to listen and share in our excitement when I beat this thing. And again, that's Mark Macy's journal, October 16th, 2018. There's not too many people in the world who would take that mindset into something especially so early on. So I think what a lesson for all of us, for listeners, for myself, when we face adversity, what are the words we're saying to ourselves? Obviously, you know, for the listener, I'm speaking to you right now, like this wasn't easy for them. You know, it wasn't easy for Mace to hear this news, but he chose, he chose to address this, to face this in a certain way that most people aren't willing to do. Think about your challenge in your life, whatever it is, whatever, maybe it's in your relationship, maybe it's in your health, maybe it's in your business, maybe it's something totally different. What are you willing to say? Like, what would Mace say if he was in your shoes right now? Like, how would he handle, based on that journal entry that you just heard, on day one of the diagnosis, of a diagnosis that, you know, the people out there who see this every day, the doctor said, you know, get your affairs in order, deal with it this way. And he said, nah, I'm going to deal with it my own way. And, you know, literally two days before recording this interview, this is years after the diagnosis, he ran a freaking 25K. Like, are you willing to approach your at obstacles, your adversity in the same way? What an inspiration. Thank you for sharing that journal entry, Travis. Yeah. That first journal entry of dad's, in addition to helping me try to rescript my own reaction, I think it also shares a couple of tools that have been really helpful to us in our journey. And the first one is humor, just mixing that in. And it's always been part of dad's personality. And when you can talk about things, even that are really serious at times in a lighthearted and humorous manner, um, it's often a great vehicle for just being able to access stuff. And then the other one is helping other people. Oftentimes when we are in our own struggles and downtimes, if we can turn that around and, and help other people, like it, not only does it help them, but it helps us. And I think that's been a big thing for dad. You know, he's been able to speak to probably thousands of people now with, with Alzheimer's or people walking this road. And, and that's been really helpful, I think, to him as well, because it keeps him engaged, creates a community. I've really learned the importance of connection throughout this whole thing. So Travis, your father... Mace here has completed the Eco Challenge many times back in the first go round of the Eco Challenge. I remember as a kid watching the Eco Challenge on TV. It was so much fun to watch. I always thought it was so cool. Didn't realize it at the time, but I was probably watching your dad and hearing your dad's name. And the Eco Challenge gets bought by Amazon. And Mark Burnett, the original producer, who also produced, what, Survivor and, I don't know, a bunch of shows, right? A bunch of them. The Apprentice, you know, yeah, he was kind of the sort of one of the main early actors in reality TV. Yeah. Well, he brings this back, and you consider doing the Eco Challenge, maybe by yourself, maybe with your dad, 
Tell us about that process of even considering doing the world's toughest race with your father, who has Alzheimer's. Yeah. The path wasn't straightforward, or I, I think it kind of was for dad. I mean, dad sort of do, you know, I'm going to go do this race and, you know, <laughs> no matter what. You were pretty sure, huh, dad? There's no doubt that I was, I was going to do it for sure. Man, when I heard that, you know, maybe Eco Challenge is coming back and Mark Burnett's there and, and, you know, Mark Burnett, by that time, I knew him very well. You know, I've known him for years and he's a friend of mine. And I thought, man, I'm going to get in on this. No doubt about it. And it was a pretty clear cut decision for you, Mace. And Travis, it was not quite as clear cut. Yeah, maybe not quite as much. I mean, I was equally pumped about it. And it, if people are interested, it is still on Amazon Prime. It's called World's Toughest Race. Uh, you'll see that a lot on there. Obviously, we ended up going. But in those months leading up to it, you know, I kind of made a shift from being on a, you know, a competition-oriented team to just kind of realizing like what I really want to do is is share this experience with my dad. And furthermore, you know, it'll be a better fit for him to be with me and, you know, a couple other relatively younger athletes and probably to not be out there with his other buddies. You had mentioned Marshall Ulrich, Bob Haw, Adrian Crane. These guys were dad's old teammates. They'd raced around the world together and they're still great friends. They're still a huge part of our, you know, kind of our overall team. But everyone on the team was was over 60 and, uh, you know, maybe throwing Alzheimer's into that mix wouldn't be quite as good of a fit. So anyway, as the race approached, I did have a lot of uncertainty about, you know, what is the risk involved in going? What is the risk involved in not going, kind of not doing something that we really, really care about? And really, Jim, I need to thank you personally because you were one of the people who made a huge difference for me. I still remember I was walking down the street in front of my house and I can remember it's one of those phone calls. You're like, I know where I was. I was walking down the street and I was telling you about this eco challenge thing. Okay, Jim, we've gotten into the race, uh, but I'm, I'm feeling, you know, I'm feeling nervous about the risk involved. And uh, Jim, you were very clear just in basically saying like, this is big and this is an opportunity that you're not going to get again. And, you know, you didn't say like, you must do this or, you know, something like that. But like the the tone came across in a very supportive way. And you just helped me realize like, we need to do it. Like, this is really important. So, so thank you. You know, and a, a couple other friends kind of were able to help in, in similar ways. And I basically came to the conclusion of, is there a risk involved of going out in the jungle in Fiji for a week plus doing paddling and mountain biking and trekking and navigating and ropes, maybe limited to no sleep? Is there a risk in doing all that with Alzheimer's as this unknown fifth teammate? Oh yeah, there's a huge risk. Like we don't know what's going to happen. But I also realized is there a risk in not going for it? In you know, here's this thing that could be great for dad and I and it's really important to us and you know, can kind of maybe be a rite of passage in helping us prepare for what's next. Is there a risk in just kind of backing away and not going for that? Absolutely. And that was as I weighted the scales, that was even a bigger risk of not doing it. So yeah, you know, we said, hey, let's go for it. We don't know what's going to happen. There's a whole lot of uncertainty, but we're going to do our best and, you know, take it uh, as it were, just a mile at a time and do what we could. And I remember that conversation as well, Travis. I remember sitting in my truck in a parking lot. I remember exactly where I was sitting and just having, because it was a deep conversation. And I remember asking you that question 
about, you know, sort of what's the risk of not doing it and sort of the long term, like the memories and the, you know, the value of actually doing it. And I appreciate just being able to be part of that conversation with you and, and helping you think through it. And now that you're on the other side of it, thinking like, what an amazing experience. So how does failure play into adventure racing? I mean, there are a lot of races that you don't finish. There are races that you finish and, and do well on, but failure's part of the journey. How does failure and, and your mindset around failure play into adventure racing? I don't know. I never thought of failure in adventure racing. You know, adventure racing is a blast. And I don't know, maybe things didn't happen the way they should or we thought we would, but I never thought of it as failure. It's just, man, shit happens. That's the way I look at it. And I, I'm serious. I I never thought of of failure. Yeah, it happened. So you're you're ready for it. You know it's going to happen. It happens, but you keep moving forward. Oh, yeah. You know, Marshall and I have been lost in places that you can't even believe exist, you know. <laughs> we've been lost everywhere. <laughs> I'm not kidding. We've, we've been in jungles and gone, oh, shit, what are we going to do? <laughs> oh, we got to get out of here first. First thing you got to do, we got to get out of here. And, <laughs> and so it's just normal stuff. And and it got to be, you know, we, we'd spent a lot of time laughing about things that most people wouldn't laugh about, but we did. <laughs> yeah, I think that's good stuff, Dad. Uh, yeah, Dad and, and Marshall have joked for over 20 years now that they would still be lost in the jungle in Borneo at Eco Challenge in 2000, if if not for uh, their teammate and friend Adrian Crane, you know, who some somehow was able to read the map and <laughs> get them out of out of those places. <laughs> exactly, that's right. Yeah, I mean, I think on regarding failure, Jim. Again, if you're gonna go for something big, there is inherently gonna be some risk, and therefore you have to be okay with the possibility of not having the outcome that you want. And very often that happens. And when you've tried a bunch and failed and not have the outcome, my experience, you know, my own personal experience, and also through talking with, uh, you know, people who've ended up doing well as athletes or business people or authors, what have you, is that they just keep going. And like they learn from it. And yes, it does hurt, but you have to be okay with that possibility of a, a quote failure. And I would say the other thing, and maybe this is more related to the Alzheimer's journey than adventure racing is it's helped me to redefine what is success and what is failure, <laughs> right? We kind of, you know, typically, especially those of us who are, you know, like we're wired for drive and, you know, go, go, go and achieve, et cetera. We think of success in those terms. And and I've just kind of realized, you know, again, through this Alzheimer's journey, but also through getting older. And I, I would like to hope at least a little bit wiser or more nuanced. It's not quite so black and white. And even the line between success and failure, like, well, okay, something happens. Do we have to call it one thing or the other? There's a very good chance it can be both. And one of my mantras, one thing I try to, you know, that dad and I both try to share in this book is kind of this idea of we're just, we're trying to keep going forward as fast as we can, 
which you would call success, but also as slow as we must. And you could think of that as failure, but you could also think of like, well, we're being realistic and still going forward. And, you know, does that mean it's a failure? I don't know. Not necessarily. I, I also think sometimes people, maybe something bad happens and they're like, oh, all is lost. Like, uh, it's only going to get worse, right? And, you know, I'll share this example. I think dad's okay with it. But like the other day before we did that race, you know, me and dad and mom were sitting at home at dad's kitchen table eating some breakfast and dad wasn't sure where we were for a few minutes. You know, he was just a little bit disoriented, even at his own house. And I think some people might think like, oh, well, if you're disoriented at home, well, you're going to go out in the woods now? Like, really? But, you know, it's kind of like, I know this is safe. Like, we're going out there together. I'm not going to like run away full speed and, you know, <laughs> leave my dad wandering around in the woods or something. So whatever, we can still go have fun, even if you're experiencing disorientation or it's hard to buckle your seatbelt or you can't tie your shoes or whatever who cares? Like, you know, those things are a bummer, but they're not a failure. There's still a lot of success and joy to be found. Where are you guys at with this process now? How are you handling things? What's the day-to-day -day like? What do you think, Dad? How, how does your day-to-day -day feel? Well, it was great. I got up and had coffee. And after a little bit, I got up and ran down the through the neighborhood. And I did a bunch of, shoot, what do I call them? repeats the intervals like you where you run up and down the hill you mean yeah i got a i got a bunch of hills and i run up and down and then just up and down up and down up and down and you look like an idiot people in the neighborhood think i'm nuts probably but you know, i'm just running up and down hills <laughs> but that's what i do that's how i keep myself you know in good shape and until something else comes along that I just got to keep on going and, until I can't go anymore. Yeah, I'd say overall a, a good place. Uh, and does that mean it's straightforward or, you know, not hard? I, absolutely not. I mean, it is hard and there's grief and sadness and loss. You know, like I said, at least early in the process, I kind of my brain was jumping ahead to future hypotheticals, you know, whether that's finances or trusts or, you know, care or just all, all of these possibilities. And is it good to plan ahead and, you know, make sure that the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted? Of course it is. But should we live in that future hypothetical anxious space? I don't think so. That's another thing that dad has shown me with Alzheimer's. I mean, when someone has Alzheimer's or other, you know, similar cognitive impairment, it gets harder to remember what you do yesterday, what's coming up tomorrow, what are you doing this afternoon? Well, where are you? You're here, you're now. And that's a beautiful thing. And that's, you know, the time that dad and I spend together, whether it's sitting here talking with you, Jim, or being out there running, or, you know, we, we did a, a book signing for a new book a couple of weeks ago. I mean, we're, we're present and we're, enjoying it. And that's, that's what we're trying to do. And I would also say it's all about the team and, and really, you know, the team starts with mom and dad and, you know, mom is an incredible person and, and supporter. And, and, you know, she just does a great job with everything. And we also have a team of me and my sisters and our families and a lot of friends in Evergreen. You know, you mentioned Marshall Ulrich. I mean, the guy's 71 years old and he drives over to my parents' house and puts up a ladder and climbs up and fills the woodpecker holes, <laughs> you know, like talk about friendship, right? Talk about friendship 
in a team, you know, doing that. And dad can't drive. So Marsh and his other buddies drive over and they pick up dad and they drive to the trails and, you know, they run along. So I, I think, yeah, the team is, you know, keeping things sustainable and where are things going? How fast is it going? We don't know. That's the uncertainty. And we've really had to accept that. And, you know, we are just like many families navigating this path. You you start talking about bigger questions of, you know, is a move a good idea or when would that happen? Or, you know, mom and dad live way up. They live in an awesome house in the mountains, but it's also 20 minutes up a little dirt road or, or well, it's not dirt anymore. <laughs> they paved it, but <laughs> they live up this road and that's hard in the winter time and things on the house are starting to break. So do they stay there forever? Maybe they downsize and, you know, come closer to, to Denver. So who knows? There, yeah, there's all these these issues. But, you know, I think, again, back to the book title, I mean, it's just a mile at a time and <laughs> take it as it comes. We're not coming closer to Denver, I'll tell you that. Well, we won't settle that on this podcast interview. You guys can uh, take that offline. So <laughs> That's right. Maybe Virginia, huh, Dad? Jim lives in Virginia. There you go. Come on out. Dad's a little biased against cities, so. <laughs> yeah, I, I, don't, I don't blame you. Well, Mace, Travis, thank you for writing this book. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for demonstrating what is possible as opposed to focusing on what's not possible after a diagnosis like Alzheimer's. It's an inspiration for all of us. Everybody listening is dealing with their own things. And you guys are showing us how to face adversity, how to live our lives with the success through failure mindset. And I'm um, just continuing to move forward one mile at a time. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Thanks, Jim. Really appreciate it. I mean, truly been an honor as always. And I would definitely say like success through failure, you're right on. That could be one of the themes or chapters in this book, because I think dad and I generally are, you know, we're optimistic, positive people, but we did try to be raw and honest in, in this book. And, you know, people will see it's, it's not all roses uh, by any means. And there, you know, were and are, and will be more trying times. And we try to share that. And for the listener, I recommend you check out the book, whether you're interested in learning about Alzheimer's, whether you want to hear an inspiring story, whether you want to just read a great book about incredible adventures. This book is for everybody. And I mean that really, it truly, it's a, it's a book for everybody. There's so, so much to the book. It's such a fun read and you can buy it on Amazon and uh, on their website. Travis, can we go to travismacy.com? Is that a good spot to go as well? That's one place to find it. And don't forget those indie bookstores. Talk to your independent bookseller. They can order it for you as well. And maybe they already have it. Excellent. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Jim. Sure appreciate it. Thanks for listening. If you want to apply these principles into your life, let's talk. You can see the limited spaces that are open on my calendar at jimharshawjr.com slash apply, where you can sign up for a free one-time coaching call directly with me. And don't forget to grab your action plan. Just go to jimharshawjr.com slash action. And lastly, iTunes tends to suggest podcasts with more ratings and reviews more often. You would totally make my day if you give me a rating and review. Those go a long way in helping me grow the podcast audience. Just open up your podcast app. If you have an iPhone, do a search for success through failure, select it, and then scroll the whole way to the bottom where you can leave the podcast a rating and a review. Now, I hope this isn't just another podcast episode for you. I hope you take action on what you learned here today. Good luck and thanks for listening.